Well, I'm delighted to say that uh, joining me on the Gobcast today is Ian Collins. Now, Ian is a British radio uh, broadcaster. He's a writer, journalist, and he's been in uh, in the world of media for many years. So it's great to get Ian on. Ian, how are you? Alex, I'm very well. Thank you for inviting me. Whereabouts in the world are you, Ian? Where's home? So I'm in a place called Sevenoaks uh, in Kent, um, which is, you know, absolutely your archetypal middle-class England. Uh, the, the people that I live and socialise amongst now are the people that I hated growing up, and I'm now one of them. <laughs> where, is that where you originate from, though? Where, where, was, where was childhood? No, I was actually, I was born in Scunthorpe, um, okay. and then uh, was uh, spectacularly removed from Mighty Scunny at the age of about two or three, down to Ashford in Kent. Um, and I've kind of been Kent, London-based sort of ever since, really. So, yeah. the family all over the place, so. Yeah, and, and you're back in the studio now after COVID. Has that been good? Yeah, it's been interesting. I did the first three months, um, or thereabouts, from home, um, where you're seeing me now. Um, so this was the this was the studio and it was nice. I mean, I kind of got to like it. I thought this is um, this is incredible. I mean, not only do you, you you save quite a lot of money as well, because you're not paying out to travel and you're not buying that coffee at Costa as you do on the way and sandwiches at work. And I, thought, I quite like this. I, I can imagine this is quite a nice life. It was quite cozy in this little sort of attic room. Yeah. Um, and then when it sort of came time to go back, I was genuinely nervous i genuinely thought this is weird I, you know not being among people for a long period of time the journey going in i wasn't nervous about catching coronavirus i was just no. a bit nervous. socially i think a lot of people experience this and and then when i eventually did go back i remember getting on the train on that first day and there was literally nobody on it i mean i certainly had the entire carriage to myself and i think i probably had the whole train and that was the case for months there was just nobody there yeah um and uh, now, of course, it's now got back to, I wouldn't say quite normal levels, but the trains are busy. Yeah. I think there's something quite um, encouraging, actually. I mean, you'll, you'll have to forgive me, Ian. I, I do listen to talk radio, but I, I'm a bit of a floater. I, I, I like Ken Bruce in the morning, and he was doing his yeah, show. Yeah, he like Ken. He was doing his show from his back bedroom, and then um, a bit of Alan Bezik on, on Radio Manchester and BBC Lancashire. He was doing his show from his back bedroom. So I think there's something yeah. quite endearing about that, actually, to kind of... To the listener to know that you were in it with us there is it's funny you mention alan bezik because he was one of my kind of i used to, i lived in blackpool for a couple of years and he used to be on red rose radio in, right. in obviously so and he was your late night presenter and i i couldn't believe when i i started listening i was list, living in this kind of bed sit in blackpool um and somebody i don't know whether somebody recommended it or i just found it i thought i've got to listen to the local station because i was into radio mm. and discovered this guy at night who was just incredible absolutely incredible i thought this this man's amazing and he, he gets paid for doing this this is his job yeah. um and then you know fast forward a, a load of years and I, I end up doing the same the same job and the, those hours as well which was the hours i always wanted to i always thought you know working at night yeah studio was you know phone in radio was absolutely right but bezik was an absolute and still is of course in the northwest he's an absolute legend in fact only yesterday somebody sent me a clip of him I don't know if you saw it on social media of him giving his opinions on Justin Timberlake's latest 
<laughs> it's just, and I was straight back to that bedsick because Bezik yeah. hasn't lost any of that kind of acerbic, very dry um, way of, of delivering a view. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's not mentioned enough, frankly. I mean, people who know radio and, and know Manchester and, and surrounding areas know him, but you know, when people talk about sort of le- the old legends of late night radio, people always talk about James Whale and the like, and um, and, and a few others. But but Bezik to me was absolutely the king of the lot. Yeah, it's lovely to hear because I mean, it was for me as somebody who was a young guy. I, I was uh, Red Rose Radio was, and it, it be, yeah. he became a cult figure, did Alan Bezik, and and I still think he absolutely he has that following now, even now, and people would bring yeah. up and just try and swear wouldn't they if they could get a swear word on the radio they'd felt the yeah yeah absolutely yeah absolutely i think i did phone him once actually i can't remember what i said but um i'm sure i did ring him uh, and probably lasted about three seconds before he just moved on to the next caller he was so acidic wasn't he He, and still is yeah yeah absolutely but what what i find interesting looking back at that it was that time when uh, you know local radio where if you did a car journey, you know, any distance around the country, you'd, you know, as somebody who was interested in radio, I'd look forward to going through all these different, you know, it was Piccadilly, of course, in Manchester. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, you'd get Red Rose in, in Lancashire and then in, in um, you get Hallam, uh, obviously, Sheffield, you know, all of these different stations that have now mostly been rebranded, but they were all completely original. They were, most of them were, were not owned by any other big group. Um, and they had a proper community feel about it, you know, and they were, they were big as well. If you went yeah. to any of their, their kind of road shows or whatever, I ended up working on Invicta FM, which was Kent's local station, which was, was absolutely massive. I mean, there was no competition then either. Yes. So you ended up, you do these, you know, kind of, um, I, I don't know, I can remember there being a kind of a bonfire night, um, festival in a kind of big field somewhere in Maidstone or something. Um, there was about 30,000 people there. It was, I felt like a member of Take That. It was amazing. It was just yeah. incredible. Yeah. This, these stations had such an impact on the, uh, on the area. Yeah, I remember going to the, uh, the Radio 1 roadshows on the beach of Blackpool and, and they were thousands. Yeah. They were huge, and again, everybody loved the Radio One Roadshow. You knew, you knew summer had arrived, didn't you? When the Roadshow, absolutely, yeah. They were they were huge, weren't they? I mean, I, yeah. I remember the. I remember when I was in Blackpool. I remember Radio One being there, and then I remember my sister went to the one in Margate, in Kent, and she couldn't believe she'd met Kid Jensen, um, and it was <laughs> Davey Travis, whoever it was. You know, um, unbelievable. We'll leave the radio on DJs there, Ian, and move on, shall we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could be another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where did your where did your kind of uh, route into broadcasting begin? Did you go down the, the hospital radio route, or was it something different? No, I was. Um, I, I kind of wanted to work. I, I always liked radio. We were a, so growing up, we were a Radio Two household. Always were. Yeah, um, and a little bit of me felt that was a little bit old fashioned. Um, because, you know, the, the, the family over the road were listening to Radio 1 and we had Radio 2 on. But the reason I liked it, apart from Terry Wogan in the morning, who is, you know, still, you know, incredible, regardless of your age, mm. uh, was that they had quite a lot of kind of talk-based shows. So obviously you had Jimmy Young, who's now Jeremy Vine, but Jimmy Young doing his kind of uh, politics and, and consumer stuff. Gloria Honeyford was on midday. 
Um, then late at night, they had a couple of shows. Um, a guy called Pete Murray did a late show as well. And it was a lot of interviewing and um, talking. And so I liked that aspect. And I, I wrote to them at Radio 2 and I said, can I, you know, can I come up and sit on one of the shows? And so I went up and sat on Gloria Honeyford. Um, and it was, you know, absolutely incredible. I couldn't believe I was sitting in a Radio 2 studio. Um, and ironically, she lives around the corner from me now. Really? And I see her walking the dogs, um, which is kind of like, there, there's Gloria. Um, but so, and I didn't really know how to get into it, though, because I, I used to I never really considered that you could do work experience in radio, like doing backroom jobs. I always thought if you want to be a presenter, how would you do work experience as a presenter? You know, you're not going to turn up on a schedule and they're going to well, stick him on for an hour. No. Some 15 year old. Um, and I couldn't work that out. But anyway, I, I kind of listened to the local station in Kent and I thought you know there was a late night show on then with a guy doing it um and I, I people used to phone in to this show a bit like the Alan Bezik thing but it was a bit more kind of a bit more Timmy Mallet of course another yeah. hero of local radio um uh, and people would phone in and this presenter would then invite them in the studio the following week and I was listening to this in my car thinking it can't be that easy to get into radio. You know, people would ring in with really bad impressions or whatever. And, um, and the next week, this guy would invite them in and they'd be in for the next year. I thought, this is an extraordinary way to get into radio. So I, I kind of, just by coincidence, then got to know somebody who worked on that show very briefly. So why don't you come in? And I came in and started working with this sort of late night team and then, um, and then eventually got a, a gig there. Um, yeah. But I didn't never really wanted to play music. I, I kind of always thought I wanted it to be talk of some kind. Yeah. Um, but I'm never quite sure what. And I've always kind of straddled that strange um, divide between, you know, just having some, some some kind of fun and talking about cultural things that are funny, retro stuff, all of that stuff we love. Yeah. But simultaneously loving politics and yeah all that goes along with that. And that's honestly, it's a blessing and a curse to be able to do those two things because you're, you're never quite, you never quite planted your flag in one. Um, and that's great in terms of, I suppose, your versatility. But yeah. on, on the other hand, you know, people like pigeonholes in this industry and they like to say, oh, you're the guy that does that. You're the current affairs bloke. You're the funny guy you know we all know what chris evans does we all know what jeremy vine does um, and i've sort of sat in the middle of that kind of strange venn diagram really yeah and and, and the, ch the change of radio has been quite dramatic hasn't it over the the last yeah. five or six years you, we've gone from kind of fm and am frequencies and pretty much yep. you could only listen on the radio to well you, you, you know your show's on telly now is it you yeah, I mean, I still, I still struggle to get my head around this. I mean, I, the, the journey of that for me, when I was working in local radio, sort of wet behind the ears, you know, 18-year-old, 19-year-old, and I was aware of these American stations that used to play, you know, these American sort of West Coast music stations that go, and now another 10 in a row. And I used to think, who plays 10 records in a row? You know, over here, yeah. we yeah. have the, you know, everyone's a bit of a personality whether it's local radio or national radio, they talk between songs. I remember a guy saying to me, he said two things. If one, a station like that will exist in this country at some point where they just play nonstop music or more or less. He said, and we won't have all these different radio 
stations. They'll all be owned by one or two groups, which sounded a bit like a dodgy conspiracy theory to me. I yeah. thought, well, how can one person own all of this? And of course, um, that was all quite prophetic because on his first point, on music stations, it's fairly standard now to play five or six songs in a row. Um, and commercial radio is owned by, you know, two or three large companies. And then in national terms, um, on, on the talk side of things, on talk radio where I am now, um, it, everything is filmed. And it, it began by them filming it and just putting it onto YouTube. But now, of course, it's on every sort of digital visual platform. The smart app is on your television screen now. So, I mean, you can watch the radio. And people increasingly say to me, I bump into somebody on the train and say, oh, I watch you all the time. And that's an, it's, I still can't quite get used to the fact yeah. that for years, people have gone, I listen to you every time. And now we've moved into this, yeah. this word watch, which, yeah. is, which is interesting. It's a totally different discipline as well. So you're, you're having to talk to a camera and, you know, you have to dress up a bit as well. You know, because radio <laughs> yeah. is always, yeah. you know, it's for ugly people. So... <laughs> And what about the the kind of um, explosion of of podcasting, which what I'm doing now, uh, is that a is that a good thing for radio, or is it a threat to the radio, or is it just just part of the? I think it. I, I think there's kind of a fairly good synergy, really, Alex, between the two, because I mean, I suppose there are areas that encroach on on some things stylistically. Um, you know, if you've got a good news podcast i would imagine that you know some news stations might be a bit miffed that their their news podcast from a well-established organization doesn't get as many downloads as somebody who you know essentially records one with their friends and that does happen from time to time i mean the choice is so immense now as you know and um it's i mean it's beyond incredible that you know you look at your phone and you think if i listened to, I, w- I won't be alive long enough to listen to everything that's on my phone i've got every episode of desert island discs from when it started in the like the 50s or something yeah just on a telephone i mean that's extraordinary so i think it's an amazing addition yeah it's incredible i mean when i started this uh seven or eight months ago i I just didn't well i didn't know whether it would work but seems quite niche and and it's kind of growing and it's like it's fabulous because you know, if I'd turned up at talk radio with the greatest respect and said, look, I'm a vicar, I want to talk to people about faith, I would imagine people would say, uh, thank, <laughs> thanks, thanks, but no thanks. So it's been... Did you, did you look at it like that, Alex? Did you think, right, this is, a, a, you know, a, a great um, a, a great way to do religion? Was that part of yeah. it or was it separate? Yeah, because, well, you know, obviously there's a lot of... I mean, it's, it's not easy to fill pews these days, but well, particularly at the moment because of what's happened yeah um, no it's not easy to fill pews and it, and, it, and it's going to get even harder i think with covid but i always yeah. wanted to bring I, I kind of describe it as trying to bring uh god and faith to people in a, in a palatable way and it might be in that we spend a couple of minutes on faith and 80 the rest of it on radio but oh, yeah. i think just the fact that i'm sat here in a dog collar talking to people like yourself is it's um it's it's pricking up people's ears so it's it's great from that perspective it's, it's fantastic so am i part of some kind of weird conversion therapy that i've agreed to and <laughs> yes. suddenly i'm you know I, that's it i'm part of the flock afterwards i'd be delighted by the way i've got a problem with it <laughs> i love the i love the um but I, I love the fact that it, it works in you know we're sitting talking to each other seeing each other mm. in different parts of the country on a screen i mean that's 
that is you know talk about miracles that is one it's great. It's, a, it's a great yeah. genre and and uh you know the guest list is just getting better and better so it's um so you are part of an esteemed community so yeah it's peak today hasn't it so it's uh... <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> let's move on <laughs> there is uh, there is uh, there is yeah you you have got a fabulous guest list as well i look i look back at some of the ones you had on so fantastic yeah and and um what were you what were you listening which radio um you know stations do you do you see as your competition i mean it's just your your, your platform your your competitors just getting broader and broader i mean it used to be you and five live didn't it really um yeah i mean there was so when I, I worked at, when I went into national radio, I, I worked at Talk Sport and yeah. Talk Sport um, was, sorry, no, I tell a lie. I, I originally worked at Talk, there was an original Talk Radio, which became Talk Sport. So it only lasted for about three years and then it was converted to Talk Sport, but they kept sort of half a dozen programs that were, um, or so about 30% of the day rather was non-sport. Yeah. Uh, so even though it was called sport, it was. So I ended up. I, I was doing an overnight show there called "The Creatures of the Night," which was just sort of like three guys sitting in a studio, talking about everything from you know music and comedy and popular culture, um, and it was amazing. They were real kind of golden years. It was a five-hour overnight show, um, and I did it for Yonks. Um, and this was on, yeah, technically on a station called Talk Sport, but even though we were sort of the non-sport side of things, and then. I went to LBC um, and LBC, of course, was just a London station then. And now, of course, DAB has made everybody national uh, mm -hmm. by definition. Um, and as you say, Five Live, LBC, Talk Radio. Um, it's weird because when I first in the 90s, when I went to Talk Radio in its original form, I, somebody said then, you know, in 20 years time, there'll be, you know, 50 of these talk stations you know in america these big am talk stations uh with these huge presenters they've, they've mostly historically been kind of right wing fairly republican affairs but massive dominance you know we uh, across and part of media culture in america and, and my producer mike at the time was saying you know that's what the, the uk will be like in in 20 years time and strangely enough it, it, it's not really happened in that way. It's happened through podcasting. There's lots of talk kind of lots of people do a podcast with their mate and they just chat and they riff and it might be on a specific subject. It might be about nothing at all. Um, but actually in terms of actual radio stations, when I started on talk radio, there was talk radio five live LBC. And today there's talk radio five live and LBC. So, it's it's kind of in, in conventional radio terms it's sort of the that side of it hasn't moved although the explosion of what you can listen to elsewhere has yeah uh, you know i want to ask you something a bit more serious um I, it's been it's been um four days since the euros and i like i say i'm a bit of a, a flicker i i i, I sw switch around from time to time and and i, I want to suppose i want to ask you is uh do you think so much radio is a good thing? I mean, the the channels and the airways are full of the racist stuff about mm. Rashford and Co. And I wonder when it gets to four days down the line, whether it remains a positive thing or or a negative thing. Just wondering what your take is on that. You know, can we do can we do too much of a subject 
before it yeah. becomes... Yeah, I, I think we can, actually. Um, it's interesting because th there were so many, you know, unfortunately, you know, this was meant to just be a football match. You hope to win it. You might lose it. Sadly, we lost it. Um, and that really, you would hope, would be the only point of discussion. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there were two things that came out of it, really. Obviously, as we know, there was the sort of social media piling from some quarters that wanted to attack racially or otherwise uh, three of our players. Uh, and that was terrible and serious. To me, actually, the biggest story was what happened at Wembley and the horrifying um, connections that could have been horrifying with, um, you know, people stampeding towards the stadium without yeah. tickets, yeah. drug taking, violence, terrified families, um, you know, one guy, diehard football fan who's been to Wembley dozens of times in his life, called me, he was from York, and he came down with his wife and he said it was the most uncomfortable experience of his life. Um, getting in the place was was troubling. Um, when he was in there, it was quite obvious people around them weren't meant to have tickets. There were people openly taking drugs. There was nobody challenging this. Um, and of course, the security implications are vast, but the, the health and safety you know, it was only weeks ago we, we, we had, you know, details of the inquest of what happened in Manchester mm. um, and previous to that Hillsborough. And I have no idea how that wasn't rattling around in the minds of the, um, you know, the, the, those in charge of organising this. Mm. And to the point that, you know, some say up to 5,000 fans could have, if you'd have said to somebody a week before that final, what's the chances you'd get into Wembley without a ticket? People, the question didn't even exist. It was just a, people would have just laughed at you. You know, these tickets were going for thousands of pounds. Yeah. So yeah. I think that was a really serious issue. And I, I wish we had focused more on that, really, because obviously the racism stuff is outrageous and you know, rightly should be debated. I tend to believe, and this may be ridiculous optimism in a curious way, that this is such a tiny contingent of people who sit anonymously on social media sites. Uh, we were talking about something on the radio today of what, oh, there was a guy that has got a pub in Norwich and he's decided that only if you're vaccinated can you come into his pub. And, and he's the first landlord who's put his head above the parapet, as it were, to say this. Um, and we were hoping to interview him. And he said, actually, I'd, I'd rather, he said, I've had such a pile in from anti-vaxxers and, and and people who want me and my family dead and i thought that's the same guys the same type the ones who abuse Sacker and rashford and co who would happily do the same thing to a lot so you've got this sort of underbelly yeah. and it might be racism it might be conspiracy it might be homophobia it might be a political opinion but their way of um articulating that has to go through this kind of prism of offence um, and threats and just general unpleasantness. Yeah. So I think it, what happened was obviously important to discuss. I think the wider context is there is this kind of slightly lunatic French who, who appear to spend nothing more than, you know, do, do nothing more than spending most of their time um, abusing. And I, I'm yeah. pretty sure if you look deep enough, you'd find that the ones that were attacking footballers are also some of the people that would have been attacking, you know, political commentators, yeah. or radio presenters, yeah. or the church, or whatever. Um, but but choosing to do so in in a way that 
is unfathomable to me. I, yeah. I don't know how you even write those words and hit send and then go to sleep at night. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want, I do wonder to, to go back to your original question, Alex, whether, yeah, if you talk about it too much, does it kind of, you know, do you, is, is there a risk that you, you sort of overstate it to the point where, you know, anyone listening in for the first time ever would think the entire United Kingdom football base or English football base were all mad racists. Yeah. Um, there's that possibility as well. And then there's the other thing of giving the oxygen of publicity to, to, to people who are generally unpleasant. Yeah. Just, just give us an insight, Ian, into preparing for a show because, you know, not, not talking necessarily about yourself, but the, there's a desire to, you, you know, you want to make your show appealing. You want to... Oh. And stimulate debate. Um, Adrian Durham is somebody who strikes me on Talk Sport. Who, you know, he he, yeah. drops, he throws out the biggest fish and just waits to reel them in. Yeah, what, yeah. What is the agenda when you're preparing for a show? Is it to create entertainment? Is it to create saber rattling? Is it to actually even to affect change in some degree to become like a, a pressure group? Yeah, I think it's probably. It's probably a mixture of all of that stuff. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned Adrian Durham because I'm I'm on air at one p.m. till four, and he's on Talksport. So I'm on Talk Radio. He's on Talksport at four, um, and there, the Talksport office is right next to our office. So when I look out the studio window, I see Durham diligently beavering away on his laptop. He says that Darren Goff, who he presents with, you know, sits in a completely different part of the office, even though they get on very well. Mm. Um, Durham is very focused on on stats and getting all the you know all the stories, uh, but so I think there is a, a a a mixture of things. I mean, certainly when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is check all the news wires, all the news feeds, all the newspapers, go through them all. What's going to work for us? So you know, a good story on radio, a lead story on Radio Four would not necessarily be a lead story for us although quite often it is the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a case of kind of angling it a little bit and finding where is the most seductive hook. So today was the question about um, a report that had looked into unhealthy eating with the suggestion we need less salt and less sugar, and we should pay through taxation to make that happen. People should eat less meat. Um, and the obvious question, which I'm pretty sure half the media were asking is, should we put tax on sugar and salt? Um, and we just angled it to what the heck do you do to make this country healthy again? Uh, which is just kind of it amounts to the same point, but it's just a, it just sits in your head a little more digestibly. Um, so it's a case of finding those questions that just have a sense of ringing true or resonating with with listeners but then along the way because i write a monologue each day which is both my greatest joy and my greatest chore um it's a joy when i finished it um and it's it's a, when i'm doing it i sit there and think i'm sure you know what it's like alex when you've got to write something for church yeah. and you hang on did i say this last week have i used that line before did i make that funny remark on the previous sermon whatever um and it's a case of mixing it up and so i do throw in you know what i hope are you know some cheeky lines here and there um and also some you know some powerful questions too i like the idea that when we do phone-ins they matter um but we will invariably deliver them in a 
in a way that is probably more palatable and digestible and resonates more with and it's a very tricky term to say the average person you know who who is the average person these days but there's a lot of sort of fairly esoteric um middle class backslapping media organizations out there and we try to be the sort of antitheses of that if we can yeah it's interesting you saying that i mean i often think about um uh, topics of religion um you know there seem to be the extremes we're either talking about the you know the god is there a god isn't there a god or we're talking about the child abuse the, you know i think there's, there's there's not an awful lot of space for just intellectual conversation about yeah yeah the, uh, that could be a radio four thing i don't know but but i think you know i think just doing this podcast i, I feel there's there's good conversation to be had about religious matters but but some people absolutely shoot i mean off. we have yeah we have done the literally the very root one question uh, do you believe in god um and that's always fascinating because what happens every uh every single time is there's always a good call regardless of religion um from someone who describes their experience and their relationship with god or their prophet whether it's jesus um, and they talk so eloquently and passionately and intelligently that at the end of the conversation you can't fail to have anything but healthy envy because you think well actually i i want what they've got because they're not making this up they're clearly not mad um and so whatever this belief system is, or however, whatever way they found their God um, is, is incredible. I mean, I, I, hear, I had a conversation with a Muslim cab driver the other day. I was going to the dentist and we started talking about, uh, I, was, I was having a tooth out and I, I was explaining, isn't it amazing that you, know, you have your tooth taken out and then within days, you know, this, this gap just heals and the bone begins to regrow and all of the arterial system starts to through the vascular it all starts to flow again and he, he he was nearly in tears this guy he said uh, he said that is that is miraculous he said that is the world we live in he said look around us you know the building the engineering the design the mountains um and he said i he said once you realize all of this and you kind of know what's behind it you're a christian he's a muslim but you would have that in common in terms of um how how amazing and beautiful that is he said once you once the fog has cleared he said it's it's just an incredible feeling and then he said to me he said i pray five times a day he said but i'm going to pray for a sixth time for your tooth which was rather nice yeah <laughs> <laughs> did it turn to gold or something <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'd be nice. And and you know, I mean, it's just a. I don't want to get too deep, but um, you know, the the the, the nation as it's kind of lost its Christendom and become more of a secular nation. Yeah. But you, but but just on from my side of the fence, looking in, it, it seems to strike me that quite often people subliminally, subliminally are, are using kind of church language. You know, we need to be kinder. Um. Sacco's put out a statement, you know, love always wins. And I'm just thinking, well, that's biblical. And that's biblical. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but 
I do worry sometimes that the media the media companies kind of want to shut it out rather than let it in. And I do think there's a space there for religious engagement in debate. Um, would you? I think that's true. That? I mean, yeah, I completely agree with that because there is a, you know, whenever there's a void somewhere, um, ignorance can often fill a void, and and that's a a real problem in all sorts of areas of life. So, you know, you you have, you know, that kind of um, curious way that people have very passionate strong views about something um but actually can't necessarily qualify it because it's a, it's a feeling and it's a feeling because nobody has explained you know a kind of counter argument or another version of things and um and i i do think there's a it, it but often people say when when they talk about when we talk about um kind of standards i suppose would be the word i'd be thinking of you know people talk about you know what, what's happened to standard what's happened to manners and mm. uh you know good christian values that sort of stuff and and, and then simultaneously and there is that sense that that's kind of disappeared maybe social media has back to those conversations about people who say horrendous things on on twitter um but then simultaneously you've got as you say people speaking in quite sort of ecclesiastical tongue when they're discussing issues about mental health or understanding or um, um, inclusion and that kind of thing. So there is this curious kind of two, two poles almost um, fighting each other in, in a way there. But I, I think, I definitely think there is a sense, and I don't know, maybe it's rose colored glasses that every generation says, well, you know, it, it used to be better. People used to be more polite. Mm. I, and I do wonder, I'd love to know what would happen if social media didn't exist today? I think that would be fascinating. Yeah, it would be, absolutely. I mean, some, well, myself included, struggled to live without my phone. My phone's usually not far away, as I'm sure yours, yeah. you know, we're all there. Uh, you know, the other thing I wanted to ask you about um, when we, when I observe television and listen to the radio is, is the kind of, um, this desire to hold somebody totally accountable and uh, whether it's Boris or whether it's Corbyn or Keir Starmer is this strikes me sometimes there's there is no room for mistakes and forgiveness you know so yeah that's that's absolutely true I think I think that's um it's almost we, like I we always... want to see them swinging from the gallows before we're satisfied and um I don't I don't actually yeah. think that's all that helpful actually no, we, we live in, I always talk about this era of crass polarity that we live in, because it does seem to be that, you know, you're either that or you're that. And if you're anything in the middle or you understand the gray area or which is usually the bigger area, um, then there's something wrong with you. Um, I always think the Donald Trump um, comparison is quite interesting. Uh, the Donald Trump example, because um, I, you know, I'm not a particular um, supporter of Donald Trump. I just didn't think he was a very good I didn't think he was a very good man, not that that's for me to judge. I didn't think he was a very good leader in the sense that, you know, one of the deals, I think, uh, for the job as a leader is that you've got to try and unify. Um, even if, you know, people fundamentally disagree with some of your core principles, you've got to be that person to go, well, I don't agree with him, but I could go for a pint with him. Yeah. I think you've kind of got to have that a little bit. That, to me, is the, the quality of the leader. And so I don't think Trump had any of that, but, you know, I thought he had some interesting stuff to say 
um, in terms of standing up to the conventional script of politics, um, I thought some of that was actually genuinely refreshing. That, you know, when he stood there and said to Angela Merkel, I'm sorry, we're paying so much for NATO. You guys aren't paying anything at all. And that's not fair. Um, you never hear anybody say that because the nearest they would get would be discussing it with their advisors in a room. And one of their advisors go, oh, no, you can't say that. That's not the way international politics works. So I quite like the fact that he broke a few rules in that respect. But my point to that was that whenever I talk about Trump, um, anything negative, you know, you would think I was talking about people's dad. Um, this incurious piling takes place. You know, I'm accused of having Trump derangement syndrome as the Trump fans call it. Um, and what's fascinating about that, the only other leader that's had that in such large doses uh, was Jeremy Corbyn. Mm. So completely different ends of the political spectrum. Um, and yet the sort of messianic worship of their leader um, is absolutely um, illuminated in the most flagrant and graphic way. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you, and if you're not on team Corbyn or Team Trump, it couldn't possibly be that my view of saying, well, actually, I quite like the bit where he was, you know, he broke some some of the conventional rules. That's not good enough. You're either in or you're out. And if you're if you're not part of the gang, then you must therefore be a mad Marxist. So you're not a Trump supporter. You must be a Biden supporter. It's like, well, hang on. What about the 500 politicians in between? You know, what about the other people from the same part? And that's it's that polarity that I think is really dangerous. You know, Brexit, remain or leave. Um, there's a lot of that going on with that. Um, you know, there's a bit of that with mask wearing at the moment. You know, are you one of the mask wearers or will you be one yeah. of the mask wearers or will you not be? And I don't know whether that's just Twitter that's got us there or something else. Yeah, I, I think a lot about this, Ian, because um, I, I try and be diverse and I've had... Uh, George Galloway, John McDonald, I've added Weena Curry, Alastair Campbell, um, lots of political figures. And I've actually found that when I've actually just been able to talk to them for 40 minutes, like we are now, yeah. that, that my perception quite often has changed about them because I can, I'm actually listening in detail to what they've got to say. And sometimes, with the greatest respect on radio, they've got five minutes and it's, yeah. well, thank you, ma'am. And, 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 and it's usually... Yeah, yeah. Quite often it's the presenter just wanted to uh, fire the bullet that's going to take them out for a few weeks. And, yeah, and, and get their, their social media moment out of it. it. I used to be in the press gallery at Westminster, and one of the things that always perturbed me in a, in a good way was that um, was meeting politicians who I thought I was going to hate, uh, and actually they were really nice people and got on really well with. Um, yeah and some you've just mentioned, oddly, and there was always that. And I thought, that's interesting, isn't it? So, and yet we kind of whip ourselves up into a bit of a frenzy. Of it, it's so true. Some, somebody had warned me about Edwina Curry, who, who I found to be very endearing. And, yeah. and the same with Gall Galloway. Somebody said, oh, I won't, watch, I won't be watching that, and gave me a, an extensive reason why not, and found him utterly fascinating to talk to. Yeah, he's a complete, completely fascinating guy. And John McDonald for me was the, who I've interviewed a number of times, but I, you know, I used to, I guess when someone's the, the, or the, the shadow chancellor as he was of his party, a very senior figure in Labour, you know, lifelong left winger and all of that is fantastic. Um, but I, I guess when you're kind of looking on as a commentator, you're, you're judging 
them along with the sort of overarching tenets and, and policies of their party. But when on an individual level, and John McDonald's always been absolutely lovely and decent and, and polite to the point where I think, well, how come I can't just have a go at this guy now just for the sake of having a go at him? That would be sort of anti-intellectual nonsense. Um, and I've given him a good run for his money and, and he's given the same back. But yeah. you know, it is we, we don't always have to have a row. No, no. Very true. Ian, I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been wonderful. I just want to ask you, Ian, if um, if you still feel there are routes into broadcasting for people, and if there are, just maybe a few tips, just in case we've got a few students on the area looking to, to get in there. What's your advice now? In the old days, it was take your records, get down hospital radio and spin the, spin the yeah, vinyl. Yeah. What about well, in many in many ways? It's funny. We did a debate about Spotify and music streaming and how artists are are dramatically out of pocket compared to how, what used to happen, of course, in the old days. So yeah. if you get a, a, a million downloads on Spotify, which is huge, you'll get about six grand. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of money for, compared to somebody who might you know stack shelves for a living. Um, but you've got to wait a long, long time to get your six grand. But that would have been about six hundred grand, you know, twenty years ago or something crazy. Uh, and so, uh, but the, what we were talking about with the artist I was discussing this with was the the upside is that it's it's never been easier to get your music heard because you can simply release a um, a, a, a video your, your music um, video or otherwise on onto YouTube. You can have stuff uploaded onto Spotify. You can have it can be out there, and you almost don't need the label in that respect. And similarly with with radio, I mean, there's lots of people present. I mean, there's certain podcasts out there that, you know, have incredibly large listeners with yeah. really good presenters and YouTube channels that, you know, people present and would never even consider mainstream media because they wouldn't earn as much as they're earning out of their YouTube channels. Now, I know they're extreme examples, but to bring it back to radio. So I think there is a, in terms of showcasing your wares on that level, I think it's, it's absolutely true you can have it out there and say look click on this here's me as a presenter what do you think um, in terms of actually trying to get into work at another station i mean the that whole thing of you know we have work experience people in with us every single week there's never a time when we haven't got somebody in with us um, who who wants to obviously work somewhere in in media and i often say you know how, how you know what how did you end up coming in you know you're a friend of somebody which can happen um and they said, no, I just, you know, I, I just kept emailing such and such. And eventually they said, oh, why don't you come in for a week? Mm -hmm. So it's a bit of a lottery, that one, but it does oddly pay off. Um, you know, if, if not, not everybody gets that experience. It's not the only way to get into radio, I should say, as well. But um, that still happens. That was the, you know, when I got into radio, that was the thing then. And it remains the thing now that once you're in. And the, the thing I always say to people, Alex, is, if only people knew how many jobs were available in radio. I mean, I, there's not a week goes past where somebody isn't running up and down the corridors going, we've got nobody to do the phones on Monday. We need an assistant producer on Tuesday. We need somebody to do some guest booking. That happens on a daily basis, almost an hourly basis. And I often think of a, a lecture hall of media students thinking, oh, there's never going to be any jobs. And then kind of cutting to a scene of, one of the producers at our place running around saying, we've got nobody to produce this show. Because um, so my point there is once you're kind of in and, you know, as long as you don't 
sort of set fire to the place or something, then, you know, there's no reason why, you know, that isn't the start of a really nice career because there, there are positions there and there are, there are interestingly more than I think some people think. It does seem to be a genre that people love. I'm just thinking I've interviewed Paul Coyer, who's into radio, and uh, oh, yeah. Joe Wilson is a guy who's worked for the local radio Lancashire for donkey's years, yeah. and, um, yeah, and Ian Dante from Talk Sport. Uh, you know, you guys love it, don't you? Oh, yeah. It's a great, it's a great, it's just, it's interesting that it's now morphed into television, but it's, um, so you have to think about what you wear now. There's the difference. So, I normally have a, just before we started talking, I was wearing a shirt, tie, blazer, looking very smart. Um, now I'm in the casual. You see, and I just go for exactly, the- yeah. You don't, you, it's a very easy wardrobe, isn't it, in your gig? <laughs> it's my day off. There's never that moment where you think, what shall I wear today? <laughs> well, listen, Ian, it's been fabulous getting you on and uh, the conversation's been great. great. I, I love Thank talking you. about radio. I'm a real, I love radio very much and... Um, and uh, all the best to you down there in Seven Oaks. So it's a place I remember as a little boy. We had family down there. So um, great. But uh, yeah, so all the best to you, Ian, and, and thanks for coming on the Godcast. No, it's a pleasure, Alex, and really lovely to speak. Thank you. God bless. Cheers. Bye.